I'm in Victoria Vivian's kitchen. Is this the kitchen? This is the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a beautiful wall of books behind us. I'm sitting at a table with very good scones. Uh, the largest cup of tea I've had in a while. And Victoria, hello. Hello. the soup collective that you're part of well the soup collective i guess started in 2017 when a group of us there were five of us at the time uh were sitting down i think we were having breakfast somewhere with a group of older lesbians and we kind of lamented the fact that we were all doing things on our own and wouldn't it be nice to do things together and to encourage each other, but also to get inspired and maybe do some different stuff together. So we got that happening. So we had a few meetings over soup and conversation, and we talked about what was important to us and what we thought was lacking. So that's essentially how we got going. And we had a deadline because we wanted to put something in for Artfully Queer that year. So we thought about what was important to us, what fitted with that theme, and went on and made some stuff for it. What did you make? We made a video and we made an installation, and the dog wants to come in, so we might do that. Yeah, we'll just let the dog in. The theme of the Artfully Queer that year was Out of the Darkness, And we thought about ourselves as older lesbians and about our invisibility through our lifetime and particularly as we were older and women and queer. And we wanted to collect stories about how it was for us as a group, not just the five of us, but from other women in our community, about how it was for for them when they recognised that there was something different about how they related to the world and how they related to others and trying to find that language when there was no language. And we wanted to record those stories because, you know, there is really good language about being queer now, about being a lesbian or gay or trans or whatever. But back in the 50s, the 60s and the 70s, which is the time that these women were growing up and experiencing you know, their burdening sexuality, there was no language. Mm. What was the result and how did people react to the work? It's, it's kind of problematic talking about how people reacted to the work. I know how some people reacted to the work and I know how members of our community reacted to the work. Mm. And I do know how people have reacted to the work since. Well, we haven't put the whole installation up The video part of it has actually been used for training with working it out for their Silver Rainbow program where they go and train aged care workers about LGBTIQ plus stuff. So, and I know that in in that scenario, there are a lot of people that are, are really quite touched 
and they see the rawness of it and they see things that they haven't thought of about older people in particular. What happened after that? Oh, we were overjoyed. You know, we made this work and it was good and it was raw and we'd sort of, we'd found, you know, that plastic that they wrap with. We'd used all sorts of materials from skips and things like that to make the work and put it together ourselves and we celebrated that. So I felt really good to make something. And I think it was important that, one, that work was so meaningful to us at a personal level, but two, that we were able to express that artistically too so that other people could feel some of what we were trying to communicate through the work. So that was great. I think it was an extraordinarily successful work, as you probably recall. Mm. Um, I... I believe that I named it as the best artwork I saw that year um, in uh, in my column. I think that's correct because uh, it moved me to tears. Like I was just stunned by it, you know, like because because of the rawness and the honesty, it set me on a trajectory of like following the adventures of the Soup Collective. I don't think I've seen everything. The next mm. thing I saw was some years later at the Moona Arts Centre. Was there anything between that? I'm yeah, there, there was. was. The following year, oh no, two years later, we did something again for Artfully Queer. We were very ginger about the art world, about our place in it, about whether we were artists or what we were, really. Um, so Artfully Queer was a really good place for us to test out who we were and how we worked and what we wanted to say. So the next time we entered that um, exhibition was when uh, their, the theme was, are we there yet? So it was just after marriage equality. So we put together a work that we titled, Is All of This Good Enough Yet? And we asked members of our community whether, we thought, whether they thought that we were there yet. Mm in terms of their experience of life, etc. And we recorded all those comments in a handmade book and then we collected, like it seemed like thousands, but it was probably in the hundreds, of tip shop and op shop cups and and we dremeled those sayings, those pithy little comments from people onto the cups so we were we established ourselves in the long gallery. We had an old kitchen table and old chairs and we had the Dremel in place, the cups in place and racks of the cups behind us that had already been um, inscribed with those sayings and the book. So we invited people who came into the exhibition to uh, pick a cup and, you know, talk to us about it whether they really felt like what it had to say was something that they liked disliked or didn't understand and then to record their comments about are we there yet in the book and to take that cup away with them and then we would inscribe another cup with their comments and replace the cup that they'd taken with a new cup on the shelf behind for the next day and that continued over the whole course of the exhibition. And it was fabulous. It worked so well. I wish you'd seen it, Andrew. Um, 
It was so good. And, yeah, um, because it wasn't, it was about the conversation. Because people would sit at the kitchen table like we're sitting now, no scones, no cup of tea, but, you know, a little book to write your comments in and an engaging conversation. And I had people sit in front of me in tears, you know. I had a, a young person from Taiwan who spoke to me about how she felt about her friends back home who were LGBTIQ+. And how difficult it was for them. I had an older man come and sit with his arms crossed like this and look me in the eye and lean back in his chair and I thought, oh, oh, here's trouble. And he said, so, are you happy? And I said, yes, I'm happy. I have a good life. I've had, you know, I've worked. I have a partner. I've got kids. I've got grandkids. I've got a great community. Generally, you know, I have my bad moments like everybody does, but yeah, I'm happy. And his concern was his daughter who lived overseas, who had a great career and who had just come out to him. And he was worried that she would never be able to be happy in her life. And while the tears didn't quite roll down his cheeks, you could see his eyes glazing over as he thought about what that life could be for his daughter. And he took a cup away. He took two cups away, one for him and one for his daughter. Oh, my God. So there were those little occurrences in those conversations, and that's just mine. I mean... Like all of the Soup Collective were there at various occasions. We all took our turns and rostered ourselves on over different days to do this work. And the work was about engaging with people, talking to people, having conversations. And they were really powerful conversations on the whole. That's very... Um, yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. The... The thing that's striking about that is a number of details that keep coming through. There's stuff about conversation and storytelling. Mm. Uh, there's also reusing used materials. Mm. Um, is that an important ethic for you? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we've all got too much stuff. That's why, I mean, you know, we do make stuff, but we don't make stuff to add to anybody's home or gallery or workspace or whatever um, when we make stuff it's you know it's in a storage shed somewhere it's it's not important for us stuff is not important and we all I mean like as you get older too you get to a point where you we've downsized to here where you need to let go of things so we try to use as much of what we have already first of all and then when we don't have it ourselves, we go and source it from other people, tip shops, op shops, skip bins, wherever. And as a last resort, we'll go out and buy stuff. It's, it's a terrible having to buy things, you know. Like yeah. It's too expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So from there, I've, I next reconnected with Soap Collective in my art adventures with the Church of Harridan's Whisperers. Oh, Whisperers is lovely, but it was Witnesses. Witnesses. Yeah. So yeah. the Church of Harridan's Witnesses. That's it. Which is yeah. a, <laughs> which reminds me of something else. 
I think it's meant to. Um, yes. <laughs> how did that one start? And where and where where was? How many people were in the suit collective by that stage? Well, we have we at the at the moment we have six core members. We had five, but with the the Church of Harridan's Witnesses, we included a, a couple more members as our core group. But in fact, every single person that participates or is involved in, at any stage in the development or the making of the work is part of the Soup Collective. So while probably for the first work there was maybe 15 or 20 of us involved, for the second work, if we talk about all those older lesbians we talked at to to glean their little comments about are we there yet, we're probably talking about 30 or so, and for the Church of Harridan's Witnesses, there was over 50 older lesbians who were involved. So we made that work. It took a long time to make that work, and that was because there was COVID in between. So the Religious Discrimination Bill was on the agenda after we had made the work um, for Are We There Yet? Uh, And that was something that we were quite concerned at at a political level. So we decided that we should look at making something for that. That was kind of the impetus for it. And then the Religious Discrimination Bill went off the agenda. It was too hard for the Australian government at that stage to contemplate it, and we had COVID. So we had some initial discussions, but then we kind of shut down for a little while like everybody did. As soon as we could meet together again and start to have conversation and soup, we kind of developed that idea of how we should go forward to do a work that would be a statement about that bill. Yeah, It was really powerful. It was also very well worked out. You managed to get the, the feel of what a, an actual religion does, you know, like without being one, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> we had quite a few people wanted to join the religion. <laughs> and at one stage we contemplated registering ourselves as a religion but then we thought about the paperwork that was involved with that and we decided, nah, it's not really, you know, we don't want to go there. This is enough. Yeah. The religious discrimination bill doesn't really exist now. Oh, it's still on the back burner, I think. There are so many right-wing super-Christians in our government that I think we can't let go of the idea that it's still sitting somewhere in a drawer waiting for another time, another government, another shape. Unfortunately, you make a fair point. Yeah, so I think we always, you know, like going back to that second exhibition, are we there yet? No, we're not. Mm. We're not there yet. No. And... There are other things happening as well that are yeah. highly problematic. Yeah. You know, like that. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange time. Without getting too much into grim territory, although we could, I'm personally very concerned about fascism. You know, yeah, like, me too. Uh, I was really glad when Scott Morrison lost the election, but don't have a lot of faith in this mob. No. Uh, unfortunately. And it's not just our country. 
It's the world. Yeah. And it's rising and it's very scary. I mean, I'm my father was a Holocaust survivor. And for me, fascism is a very, very real and scary threat. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it does worry me a lot, but that's, you know, that's another conversation for another time. Yeah, it is. Shall we talk about the Church of Heritage Witnesses oh, a bit more? I'd love to. So, because we were talking about how many um, people were involved in the making and how many people were involved in the Soup Collective... With that one, and as you said, it was pretty highly developed and it was just like a a different sort of church, really, Mm. and we had all the trappings. We had, was it ten? Yeah, we had, I think it was eight. We had eight groups sit down together with between three and seven older lesbians and we talked to them about... How would it be if we had a lesbian church? What would it look like? What would the power structure be? How would money be handled? What would be the rituals, the performance, the the revelation, the origin story? All those sorts of things. So from all that information, we kind of distilled that into what became the Church of Harridan's Witnesses. And then we had a whole lot of women work on the making of the things. So we made mosaics out of um, old discarded plates and things like that and we made garments and we made handmade books and painted icons and we had sound, all sorts of stuff. It was great. I thought it was great. I was blown away by it because of the totality of it. I'm very interested in sound art. There's a traditional link between lesbians and sound art, which I'm fascinated by. I think the big one's Pauline Oliveros, but there's also people like Annie Lockwood. And when there was a sound element in that, I was just kind of like, I was kind of like, oh, great. Because you can't can't get enough of that kind of thing. Also, there was this one line, and I just, I nearly died with, you know, the familiar comedy of it was like... At first, they thought it was the fridge. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they thought of that. Yeah. I, it was came up in a discussion group. Yeah. Yeah. It came up in a discussion group, that whole thing about the bees mm. and um, lesbians tuning in across the world and the chosen ones thought it was the fridge. <laughs> it was the humming of the bees. Mm. But, like, that, it, it really struck me because it was a brilliant, you know, like, analogy for a, a collective speaking with each other you know yes, and, yeah. and that, that was that was that was when I was really struck by the the idea that soup collective and the church and and everything that was doing was a group of people is this I've never known how to describe this but I think you can tell the difference between art made by one person and art made by a group of people. And, and that was where it was like realised in this absolutely total way, the way there were all these meticulous details and the way that you managed to both celebrate the way that religions do create collective stuff, you know, because, you know, like we want to be anti-religion, but there's something really positive in the group, the community stuff. 
And you managed to latch onto that and celebrate that as well. I think if you try and conceptualise and think through a work on your own, you can never tick all the boxes. You get too caught up in particular aspects. But when you do it with a whole mob of people, um, there's all these things that rise up from all the different minds and all the different experiences and who people are and what's important to them. And it's that richness, that richness of working with other people that is just so not only rewarding but kind of liberating. Can you expand on that a bit? Well, rewarding, I think, mm. you know, goes without saying. It's just rewarding working. For me, it's just rewarding working with others and seeing their joy in what they're doing and my own joy and sharing that and having soup and cheese and wine and, and making stuff happen. But I think it's also liberating because I think as an individual you can get so caught up in your own little minutiae of what's happening in your mind and what your concept is and, you know, how that should relate to this or that or whatever that sometimes you can't see the other stuff. So that liberation, I think, is not just for the group but it's for everyone who's involved in the making because it's not just a singular work it's a work of many minds and so you go to places that you would not necessarily do so on your own it's powerful even i would say i think once again this is why i've responded to the work so totally i was really like who are these people this is incredible because it proved to me that the previous work wasn't just a one shot you know like and now i'm now i'm really interested then you sent me an email about getting an award yeah what was that um well over on the mainland on the big island (laughs) on the big island the incinerator gallery which is owned and run by the city of mooney ponds has an annual award called the incinerator prize exhibition and award is specifically for art for social change so they have a lot of entries from all over australia and we thought we'd show a hat in the ring send some stuff in from the little island and then we were blown away we got selected as finalists we couldn't believe it oh my god what do we do now we've got to take our stuff over there Ah, so we were really excited to get selected as finalists in that award and there were some fabulous things in the in the exhibition and the show it was great you know works that i thought were jaw-droppingly good from all over the place so we won one so we were, there were about five of us or six of us at the award ceremony and we had our witnesses t-shirts on and we were having a glass of wine and thinking this is lovely and you know we're having a great time we were standing next to our work thinking doesn't this look beautiful and haven't we done a good job thinking that we just have another glass of wine and go home and then they announced that we won won one of the four awards and we were just were dumbstruck really and overjoyed it was fabulous what was the work? It was the church? No. Yes, yeah, so we put in uh, documentation. We, we sent a few things over, like the handmade book and the um, big mural that we did and the icons of older lesbians. I've said this before and I'll say it again. That was an exceptional thing, you know. It was really powerful. And I think it came out during the year where there was some 
absolute crackers of works, you know, like, because we're actually, your work emerges at around a similar time as we're having an uptick in Australian Aboriginal people making really powerful work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are other sort of things happening like that. And, you know, like, art as a form of activism seems to be really rich at the moment. Do you consider the suit, the, is the suit collective an activist thing? Absolutely. Yeah. We're all, but we're all, you know, we're out there on the streets when we were 17, you know. Mm-hmm. I was out in the streets, you know, marching against the Vietnam War when I was 17. So, you know, we've all been activists in mm-hmm. one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Yeah. It's, you know, the Soup Collective is about giving voice to older lesbians and giving voice to our concerns. And our concerns are what is happening in our world. Mm. Yeah, it's not about our concerns as in our internal machinations about our psychology or expressing who we are or whatever. It's about where we live, how we live and when we live. So you've got a new project emerging. We have. We what, have. I guess I'm asking for a sneak preview. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Great. We're well, happy to talk about the making of it <laughs> um, because that's, for us, the process is, I think, more important than what the result is, what the whatever is exhibited. What is exhibited is documentation of the whole process that's behind it and that process is the artwork. We are making art as we're making art. Fabulous. What is this thing that you're doing? We've been, all of us have been up to the Glover Prize on occasion and looked at it and thought some of the paintings were lovely and some we wondered why they were there. Same as everybody, really. Same as the People's Choice Award and all the other things that happen up at Evendale each year. And then we thought, what's missing from this place? And we thought... You know, older lesbians obviously are missing from so many places. Older women, older lesbians, the invisible. So let's make the invisible visible. So this year what we're doing is we're painting older lesbians into the Tasmanian landscape. And we're doing that by inviting older lesbians across the state to take photos of themselves in their landscapes. And we've had a couple of sessions down here in... Hobart with groups of older lesbians as well and then we're going to get together and collage an image up from all those images that we've received and every single one of those images will be present in the final composition that we make and then that image will be um, put onto a board and we'll cut that up and we're inviting all the older lesbians who've been involved to come along to workshops to paint the image so we can put it back together and submit it to the Glover Prize for next year. What if you win? Well, that's the question I've asked. I'm a bit worried about that, you know, because I think money changes everything. I think we'd be much more comfortable with the People's Choice Award. But we have plan B if we're not selected because, you know, there are those of us that 
will think that we won't get selected and others that worry about what if we win, which is more like me, that's my worry. So we have plan B and the plan B is even more exciting than the plan A. What is plan B? Well, the plan B is that if we don't get selected as a finalist, and actually even if we do because we've already progressed the idea to the point that we just love it and want to continue with it, we're going to um, curate an exhibition called either The Rejected or The Refusal and we're going to invite everybody who's ever been refused entry into an award, a gallery, a prize, anyone who's ever been refused a grant, a residency, anything at all to submit their work for the exhibition without choosing what should go in and what shouldn't so that everyone will have their work, whether they're amateurs, whether they're hobbyists, whether they're professional artists, however they classify themselves, whether they have a disability, whether they're queer, whether they're people of colour, whether they're First Nations people, doesn't matter. Everybody is invited to submit whatever has been refused or rejected by others. We're also hoping that everyone will also submit their refusal letters from whoever it is that they've applied for money. We have some ourselves that we'll put in, but I'm sure there'll be lots of people. Andrew, you might like to put one in yourself. I might. Yeah. Um, and we're going to display those. Uh, we're going to frame them and have uh, a wall of A4 letters of refusal. Uh, we're hoping also to have a forum on the refusal and how to keep going when you're refused and what does refusal mean. And we'll have some workshops on writing, writing letters of refusal. So we're going to develop a volume that we will publish and send to all those agencies and places that write those letters of refusal as perhaps a hint about how they could change their style. I'm, I'm, yeah. You gobsmacked, are you? Um, <laughs> this is something that I really perceive about Cert Collective is like, you guys are cheeky. We are. We're old enough to be cheeky. We've got no, there's nothing to stop us being cheeky because there is no risk to us. Yeah. We don't have careers. We do what we do because we love what we do because it's about the making, the conversations, the talking, the doing, the play, the and connection. The and the soup and the wine and the cheese and sometimes delicious dessert too. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell me about Soup Collective now or are you, or are you all talked out? Um, look... I think it's important also to talk, when we talked about the Church of Harridan's Witnesses, is that we were enormously lucky in that the time we had booked in with the Moona Arts Centre coincided with the week that the bill went to the, the Parliament. So we got fantastic coverage and we got coverage across Australia with that, with the ABC and we had people everywhere who were very interested in what we were doing and how we were doing it. So that was excellent. Isn't it funny that the stars kind of aligned? Yeah, there? the stars did. Then we must have been doing something right, you know, with this religion of ours, I think. Yeah. I'd say that's pretty definite. 
Yeah. The collective seems to just go, like, really, like, hit exactly when it's needed. You know, like, I guess that just happens. What do they call those people that are kind of predict fashion and all those sorts of things? And the, the people that are not early adopters, but they're the taste makers or something like that. Oh, those things. Yeah, yeah. In a wicked kind of way. I, I don't know. I think we just, because we listen, because we talk and because we listen and because we listen to a lot of people, I think that's why we do things the way that we do and why they are so congruent with whatever is happening at the time because it's not just one voice here. It's many voices, it's many ears, it's many people, many experiences of the world. Yeah. You like you like Instagram influencers, but you're Without social, Instagram, yeah. yeah. Your social <laughs> network is your, your friends and your collective. Yeah, and it's about having conversations. Yeah. That's magical. Thank you so much. Thanks very much to the Soup Collective representative I spoke to, Victoria Vivian. The Soup Collective can be found online at soupcollective.org. That was the Make and Do podcast. It was produced by Pitt Stafford and I'm Andrew Harper. That was the Make and Do podcast. It was produced by Pip Stafford and I'm Andrew Harper. Make and Do is an online publication that looks at art in Lutruita and beyond and is supported by Arts Tasmania. Follow us online at makeanddo.art or on Instagram at makeanddo underscore taz. You can listen to Make and Do on all good podcast apps, including Apple Podcasts, where you can rate it and review it. You can subscribe to Make and Do to receive our monthly newsletter and what's on for free, or you can pay a little to get some nice bonus content at makeanddo.art. Make and Do is an independent project based in Lutruita slash Tasmania. It is made possible by our supporters and subscribers. If you've got any comments or questions, email me, makeandrewdo at gmail.com.